Welcome to For Instance Podcast, the tech podcast where we spin out endless supposals about cloud, AI, the edge, and more. We sift through current events, opine about what it means for practitioners and leaders, and interview industry observers about where different technologies are taking us. If you like digging into the story behind the story in tech, this podcast is for you. Hi, folks. Welcome to the sixth episode of For Instance Podcast with Sarah Music and myself, Sarabjit Johal. Sarah, how were the last two weeks? I thought it was super busy. What's your high-level take on it and what are we I, covering today? Yeah, I think it was especially busy. We always say it was busy, but just the sheer number of stories this week, not not just the import of the stories, but the sheer number of stories was really remarkable. You know, everything from Cisco's acquisition of Splunk and all the shakeout there, what it means for, you know, Splunk customers, Microsoft's desire after a very embracing relationship with OpenAI to want to put some distance there. And in the meantime, Amazon's over there investing in Anthropic. And then a few days, Anthropic turns around and says, well, we're going to take some more money from Google. And so there's that. And in the midst of Bedrock going GA, NVIDIA released, you know, a big blog about what they're now calling Huang's Law. So that's a whole can of worms. And the FTC and Amazon, so Amazon continuing to be in the news, there's, and, and much more besides, much more. So very very dense. Yeah, there was some fun stuff too, you know, like the the Mark Zuckerberg talking to Lex Friedman and uh, and Twitter CEO interview. There was so much. You know, spot on. So let's let's start with the two big ones. I think the FTC uh, and 17 states suing Amazon and uh, Cisco Splunk um, merger. What do you think about the Cisco Splunk merger? Yeah, so as a fan of Splunk and as a cloud partisan, so I'll, I'll own that in terms of enjoying life in the hyperscalers and being really interested in cloud, I think from a networking observability perspective, I think the acquisition makes a lot of sense for Cisco. And they have, over time, especially with AWS, looked to build the connective tissue between the data center and the public cloud. They've wanted to own a lot of that connective tissue, some of it with Duo, you know, from a security perspective, and then, you know, the actual tunnels. So this is of a piece, this acquisition is of a piece with a lot of, you know, the acquisitions they've made already. I do think it's a little bit of an odd couple because Splunk is a little, is a bit different than some of the previous acquisitions that they've made and that Yes, of course, Splunk is super effective in the data center and it's widely adopted, but it's also experienced, you know, explosive growth in the public cloud. And so what it'll be like for Cisco as a business to support customers who are deep into the hyperscalers who, you know, have feeds coming from availability zones all over the place, I think it will be interesting to watch. It'll also be interesting to watch Splunk 
fans and fanatics and maybe employees to see how they view it over time. That can be really telling. What do you think, Sarbjeet? I don't want to see this Splunk t-shirt go away. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Uh, t-shirt factory, you know. Yeah, actually, um, uh, that was the funny side. But I think it's, um, on a serious note, I think Cisco mainly, they bought the market share, you know. I mean, they bought the business, right, rather than technology. I mean, mm -hmm. technology too, because there are a lot of practitioners and it's like a lot of like WeMug their community is like a lot of like we are very loyal practitioners right but that it was that growing community i don't think so i cringe when i say there was growth no it was kind yeah. of stagnant in many ways and they did some pricing moves and they sort of backfired people didn't like that newer pricing was more much which makes their solution much more expensive right uh when they moved to subscription you know services right so, but all in all, they bought the business plus some loyal customers and brand has value. I don't know what they will do with the brand Splunk. You know, will they call a Cisco Splunk or just keep Splunk as brand or, be or Splunk a Cisco company or is there any number of yeah. mutations? But I, I think they will try to merge it into the core Cisco because they're trying their network savvy company and they're, they're trying to do like um, data center automation, you know, infrastructure as code. I mean, they have been working on this for last, you know, five plus years, right? Gradually they're making that sort of gradual movement into the security space, into the observ observability and automation side as well, which they kind of lack, I think, as compared to Red Hat and VMware-ish. You know, they have, they did their recent event. They Oh, for sure. Yeah. They showcased that, how they are focusing on the automation part and the, bringing in the AI to code their, um, to script the VMware's platform, if you will, for their practitioners. And so is, so is done by Red Hat as well, you know, through mm -hmm. Ansible acquisition. Ansible is catching on again you know it's gaining traction that one more time yeah it's and hashicorp is still standing on the side yeah they i don't know i'd have to look into hashi a little further i think they have big aspirations and they probably would want to make a few more moves before getting acquired but that that's a great point about splunk the the splunk cisco HashiCorp sort of triangulate, like what, you know, what all that looks like. Cause you know, from certainly from a cloud perspective, 80 plus percent of enterprises use Terraform, you know, from a data center perspective, maybe not as, not as urgent, but their customer base and the mentality of their customers from that standpoint, you know, when you think about Splunk enterprise with the cloud, it's, so it's getting ready market, to change. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. cheap, actually. HashiCorp is dirt cheap. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, based on business, it might not be. It's for, their market cap is $4.33 today. So much more cheaper than uh, Splunk. But it's, yeah. it's a pretty catchy name in the practitioner space. You know, people just love their stuff as well. So I think it will be gone as well. I, 
I hope Cisco gets them because Cisco has that one, you know, automation piece, like weaker side, you know, and also they are, all these companies are within like uh, five to seven miles radius here in the Bay Area, their headquarters. Yeah. That matters as well, the, all these senior folks at the company and then um, senior engineers and all that stuff, they cross paths and um, they can do better collaboration. I am Silicon Valley biased because I've been living here for the last, I don't know, 28 years now. <laughs> I'm so loyal to this place. Yeah, that's that. And then um, the FTC plus 17 states uh, going after Amazon. The, the, there's reaction from both ends, from analyst community and industry pundits, from the, the stock analysts to the industry analysts, technology analysts, both sides. I, I, I personally think that FTC should not be that aggressive. I think they should sit with American big businesses and tell them where they think these businesses are breaking the rules and and um, take a softer approach because we see that China took the like a very firm approach with their big tech and it doesn't it doesn't do anybody a favor. You know, it's what what FTC is doing is it's against what the other Fed agencies are trying to do to lower the inflation, but if you fight with your big tech, you're not helping anybody lower the inflation. You know, like uh, especially from the Amazon's uh, retail side of things, right? So they have the market. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't. I I will say I don't think Andy Jassy is going to disappear for a period of time anytime soon. That's not <laughs> the way we do things here. Um. So that you know, the the pressure might be. Not quite that extreme, but I do think there are other ways, you know, dragging folks through the court system is one way that you can affect one. a pretty a pretty miserable existence for for a while. So I'll I'll share, you know, a personal anecdote because I have mixed feelings about it. I don't like to see American companies become victims of their own success, which you know, sometimes is what happens with the FTC. Although you know, there are any competitive practices, you know, I remember, and this is a, this is a banal example, but I do think it speaks to why they may have fallen into the FTC's crosshairs. There was a, a laptop stand that I was interested in and I ended up buying the Amazon basics version, not knowing that it was a ripoff of, uh, a, you know, an American company like they you know pride themselves on their craftsmanship it was a smaller like family-owned company startup and they were they were selling you know units hand over fist and they they ended up suing amazon for you know essentially ripping off their design and won the suit and so when i went back to buy another one and i found it but it was way down in the search results so it was interesting that amazon got rid of the basics version but they they pushed it down in the search results, even though from a review standpoint, it had a ton of following. So that kind of thing's not cool. Uh, it can become heavy handed after a while when when those are the sorts of things that that occur. And it does make it hard for the little guy to succeed. So that's not uh, entirely directly pertinent to to the suit. But I do think when stuff like that goes on the FTC does start to root around. 
Oh, no, no, that, that is true. Actually, nobody should be taking advantage of their size and shushing the other people, especially when they own the marketplace interface, you know, like Google mm -hmm. search or Amazon's marketplace, you know, for B2C buying. Yeah, marketplaces, marketplace economics is um, relatively sort of new sort of phenomenon, which is enabled by the digitization of everything. And um, all the governments are trying to grapple with that. And, and Linacon is particularly like uh, allergic to that kind of uh, arrangement, I think. What's the litmus test for, for FAIR in that respect? Because the company with the resources that behind it naturally is going to have the advantage. But at the same time, if people genuinely prefer the product, then, you know, it, it's it's just interesting. Yeah, size alone should not be the basis for punishing somebody. I think there has to be more than that. Microsoft, actually, let's talk next about Microsoft OpenAI. Uh, there were a couple of articles coming out. There was one from Information, the Information. The, that's the first time I saw it. And then everybody else was talking about that, too, that Microsoft is trying to get out of addiction with open AI. So they are trying to lower their cost of running AI platform, if you will, on Azure. So they are trying to build their own chips with AMD. And when the CTO of Microsoft said, oh, AMD chips are pretty good and the stock goes up 5% within a day. What do you think about that story? Yeah, there there are kind of two wheels that are spinning that I think are related. So from an AI perspective, AMD and Microsoft underscoring, hey, this is something we're committed to. The AI chip, that was something that was announced previously at AMD's AI event, I think back in, what was that, June? It's, it's a nice reaffirmation to the market to say, hey, we're genuinely committed to this. With respect to OpenAI, one of the things that I came across in terms of potential motivations for Microsoft to so heavily embrace OpenAI, bear hug them, and then push OpenAI away just a little bit or want to increase some distance has to do with some of the burgeoning issues with security. So intellectual property having been used in some cases for training and also intellectual property being surfaced. So even if it had been granted permission for use of it as training data, it ought not to surface directly. Training data cannot be a one-to-one -one reflection of what, what it was trained on because that's, that's from a model perspective, that's what's called overfitting. In other words, the model has been tuned to such a fine-grained extent that on that particular topic, it represents a one-to-one -one relationship between that specific data piece and the subject. And that's not, when you're looking at a model of that level of sophistication, that shouldn't happen. And then of course, personal data. Who wants their personal data being spit out from open, you know, open AI? So I think it's a little ironic because there were early, early concerns about these things, just not as much known, but Microsoft sort of forged forward anyway, I think in a gambit to gain early dominance. And so the pullback is slightly ironic to me. I don't blame them. 
what do you what do you think, Sarbjeet? After speaking to quite a few people, and then as time progresses, we, we are getting more clarity around everything. I think the inference is, is much bigger workload as compared to the training. When it comes to training, then we divide training at high level into two buckets. One is the training foundational models and one is training models with your own data and or augmenting the foundational models, right? It is a lot like how the whole cloud started, you know, like a pri private cloud versus public cloud kind of thing, right? And we thought we will have community clouds, but they never happened. They're still not happening, you know? So fusion of foundational models and and uh, private data models it, it, it will happen a lot later, I think, um, because of the complexity of the, the, it's the nature of the beast, right? Complexity of the architectures and the, how computing works, how far apart these things are, right? So I think that people are getting that realization and in that realization, they know that they have to cut, lower the cost of inference and, um, that's one part which is driving Microsoft to lower the cost. And that means relying less on OpenAI. And OpenAI has its own objectives and they have a pretty strong-willed leader at home. So that might be part of the, the issue there as well. So maybe Microsoft want, wants it to pivot some certain way, but they don't want to. Remember in the beginning, um, Sam Altman kept on saying that we will work with everybody, we will work with everybody, then all of a sudden they work with Microsoft and then now they felt, they might have felt like we are pigeonholed now, like we can't work with other people. On the other side, Facebook, Meta, their Llama 2 model with two L's, the Llama, I don't know, yeah, 2 O model. The animal, they're cute, yeah. we love them. Uh, the, yeah, 2 model. That's second version, if you will, that that is pretty powerful. And I, I got to see the demo of that and during the AWS uh, AI day in San Francisco, we covered very briefly last uh, in our last episode. So I, I think that's promising. And, and on that note, let, let's stay with this. Amazon GA Anthropic, right? And, and then also the, the investment into Anthropic, they said we will invest $4 billion total, right? Uh, they will commit $4 billion. Um, that was an, another interesting story. And then, then we know that Google invested in Anthropic first. It, it, it's going, so as you said, this, there, there are a few vendors there. There's a, they're trying to gain that mindset. They the want mind to share, that totally. Mind share, yeah. They want to get that mind share uh, up front so people gravitate towards them. I think Amazon is trying their best as well, but they seem to be uh, going with Anthropic through Anthropic route and using their own chips. And that is very interesting sort of development. I I actually want, I'm willing to bet <laughs> with some people that uh, it will be an interesting bet. Like will um, NVIDIA CEO Jensen be at reinvent uh, keynote stage or not I, I don't think he will be but I, I want to bet you know with somebody like somebody says oh yeah, yeah that would be interesting I, right yeah I would have to think that it would, would be almost 
a statement in itself if he wasn't, because he's been so omnipresent over the past eight months or so. So yeah, I would have to, I would have to think. Yeah, it, interesting the tussle between AWS and Google over Anthropic having having both of them wanting to take anthropic to the to the dances is it's very interesting to watch and you know it's a lot of money of course that they're looking uh, to continue to invest in the company and so i think that works to anthropic's advantage because they're not going to get pigeonholed kind of like you were talking about a little bit with open ai and microsoft and how that took out although it, i think microsoft is seeing the the writing on the wall in terms going back to your early point that model building is a defined engagement where after a point and it could be a fairly advanced point your expectations could be very high and you might want a trillion parameters but it is a defined engagement at at some point you decide that that model's done it's baked and then you release it into the wild to do inferencing more or less indefinitely and the in terms of where the market is going even big companies aren't as interested a few months in in training these models from scratch they want to take a model off the shelf and fine-tune it with their data and then get to work it's so much more efficient so i do and so it's expensive for the companies that are willing to own these models from the ground up facebook of course is meta they're they're flush with cash so they're willing to do that but going back to you know you mentioned um bedrock amazon bedrock so you know there's this investment with anthropic you know wanting to have competitive generative ai generalized models these massive monolithic sort of godzilla sized models and then we have bedrock which uh to my mind is going to serve both as a marketplace for models and as a, a test bed for owning the infrastructure and for you know training the model they want they want customers to use bedrock for that so where whereas with a hugging face you have a marketplace and you pick the model and you own the infrastructure aws is going to create a, a place for you to pick your model but also provide the infrastructure to train it and this is something that they've done you know in previous offerings that they have where the so-called software components where the the feature functionality is, is quote unquote free, but you pay for what you use in terms of the power. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I think you made an earlier observation as we've, we've chatted personally that it does, it does seem like they're grappling a little bit in how they want to interpret themselves with this, but all, all very interesting. The whole discussion around where we need more compute training versus inference is, is huge. And there's a great talk um, from a A16Z and Anderson Horwood's uh, well-known VC firm in Bay Area. Their co-founder, Ben Horwood's, spoke to Ali Gorsi, who's uh, Databricks uh, CEO. Mm -hmm. So that, was, that discussion was great. 
And Ali Goat sees all is just, just unplugged, you know, like unapologetic, um, very um, authentic and off the cuff remarks. And he was, I think, spot on. There's a lot of noise. I mean, when people say that, hey, this model can do this, this model can pass this test on, you know, like an entrance test for medical, like medical students and stuff like that, right? That is all BS, he said, and I agree, because these are multiple choice questions and they're on limited number of like maybe 20,000 questions, right? Right, and you feed the the thing, and it can you know ace the test, and it's not a big deal. It's nothing actually. People who know systems, it's like nothing. It's just fooling people in many ways. So he, that discussion, actually, to our listeners, like you should take a look at that. It's on, mm-hmm. on YouTube. Yeah, Godsey of all people would know how much just how much compute it takes. To inference because core to his business model is the the act of inferencing and his the way the way they're shifting the the business this year owns that they understand that in you know just the inferencing itself of course is very compute intensive it's it, in some of its relevant relative it all has to do with how do you want to train the model and what are you going to do with it ultimately and you know, yeah, there are all sorts of things. And the one one last point I made, I want to make um, is to our viewers for their service. We are here for them. We are synthesizing this as we talk. Uh, this information is that there's a, there was another article actually. I forgot the name of the author. Um, I will put that in our show notes. Um, the discussion was around what how important is the software side of things versus chips when you pick a platform for your ai endeavors as a big company or a medium-sized company do you go with nvidia chips and cuda or you go with you know fpga intel you go with infrentia uh, chips from um chips with the aws's sort of way of doing things uh, through hugging face models like what, what what do you lose actually if you go with one versus the other and more importantly how hard it is to switch if you are using gpu from nvidia and using cuda as a developer how hard it's to switch to uh, the other platform right uh, and the argument is and I, I i agree with it the switching costs are there it's it's yes. it's not it's not ignorable that's number one. Number two is that the economics of the chips, like how expensive they are there versus there, like that's important. And then knowing that NVIDIA had head start, you know, at least six, seven years of head start uh, overall, but like in pure AI, at least two years, let's say, or two to three years or whatever, like even 18 months is huge here. So that head start and people getting trained on that and they just, by default picking them as their platform. Um, it goes into my, my concept of skills gravity, skills of gravity. So people don't want to get rid of their skills once they acquire it. That's interesting. I said, that's my last comment. Yeah, very true. There are there are a lot of processor implications. And on on uh, on X, on Twitter, uh, Patrick Moorhead made, made a quip that I thought was kind of funny, which was, 
recently, this was at Intel's uh, innovation event. He said, there's been lots of talk ab about software and models and that discussion obviously will continue. But he said, I always wondered if people assumed that this stuff would run on air because they're, you know, such a focus. And so it's not surprising that organizations like Microsoft and AWS would then begin to set their sights back on wanting to to own more of the continuum because obviously there's money there. Yeah, and also like uh, there's a room there's room for different type of chips, different it's, it's a staggered sort of um, utilization types of from CPU side of things, even the the platform software platforms side of things, right? So there's a room for multiple players. You know, it's not like a hey now. Uh, Python is the hardest language and nobody's coding in JavaScript or Node.js or Java or other languages are dead. No, no, no. The, things run in parallel. So we need multiple solutions from different vendors. And um, yeah, and, and it also promotes the, the, the competition, you know, so which, which our feds want us to do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And speaking of NVIDIA, they've come up several times in this conversation, which is sort of inevitable these days, but Huang's Law, very interesting. So NVIDIA released a blog within the past couple of weeks. It, it uh, maybe was about five days ago from today when we're recording and it was both re retrospective and forecast. So I would say one of the big debates, of course, in tech is, is has been about Moore's Law. Is Moore, Moore's Law still relevant? Is it still continuing? Is it dead? Is it to what extent is Moore's Law in, existent, in, in existence? Is it going to be resuscitated to some extent with AI, that kind of thing? So Huang's Law, Jensen, and this is very gutsy, has said that the process, the process improvements in creating new ways to manufacture GPUs effectively is not as important as the, the inference speed that has increased over the past 10 years. And so what they're saying is 10 years and a thousand times increase in inferencing, inferencing speed or sheer number of inferences that can be executed by a single um by a single chip so the the forecast part of it would be that this is going to continue that that thousand x rate of increase of of power inferencing power from a gpu over the course of the next 10 years will continue i think it's interesting i think it's super gutsy if they were going to release anything like that i think now is definitely the time what do you think about it, Sarbjeet? I think they're just propping up their own sort of business, you know, like, uh, by the way, that Moose Law was not a law, it's just a statement turned into mm -hmm. law, right? So like saying that, hey, number of transistors on a chip will double every 18 to 24 months. It's not a law. Yep. Yeah, it was actually a speculation to begin with. <laughs> it was a speculation. It was an opinion. And yeah. it, it kind of happened, and so people, yeah, <laughs> and, the term and these guys are trying to be clever and ca calling this uh, Huang's, Huang's law, H-U-A-N-G's law, if you want to Google search, guys. 
um, yeah, thousand uh, X is a lot of percentage. You know, it's it's crazy in ten years. In that, I mean, without bringing in the better buses between the the cores, you can't do that. That's that's what they are doing through NV Link. You know, so maybe they think that they can have more NV Links. You know, going from cores to cores or better NV Links. Be the reason is that there's a physics involved in how many chips you can, how thin, uh, how the sort of that those machines which do lithography, like they use light right now to cross crisscross all these. Like they play, they make the place where these transistors need to go because we 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 stopped doing that the old sort of mechanical way. Now it's all digital. I don't think you can do thousand x improvement in those machines in 10 years so you have to have other mechanisms right yeah well i think he qualified they qualified it in a kind of clever way that the process improvements in other words yeah. manufacturing processes aren't going to be the sole driver of this so it does give them a little bit of an out but i i still think it's pretty gutsy but we're in a gutsy time so why not yeah yeah, actually, just when you are riding the wave, you know, you can make big statements. Mm -hmm. In other news, uh, some uh, not tech news, tech, but not really what we do. NASA got asteroid samples uh, on a, it's like, it was less half pound of like dirt from an asteroid. It landed, um, I think in Arizona somewhere. And they picked it up, and the whole the, there was a whole show around it. I mean, like media was covering it. It's a, it's a huge accomplishment. That thing was chasing that asteroid for last seven years. I think it was seven years. It was many years, like uh, that long effort just to collect half pound of dirt from uh, from that place. That was interesting. I, I found that it's fa fascinating. Yeah, very. Other, yeah, and this is we're doing the fast round here now, right? Yes. Okay, fast wait, round. Okay. Yeah. What do you call that? Fast round or speed fast. round? <laughs> My English ends at some point. Okay. Uh, Spotify will use AI to copy the voice into different languages, translation on the fly, if you will, and where you, you know, don't need to be there actually. So your voice will be mimicked in other languages. That I, I thought that was crazy. I, they will do the video as well, like video rendering. So Sarbjit is talking in, you know, Dutch or something, which will be crazy though to look at. But um, it, that's that's another thing. Another thing, yeah, was the Mark Zuckerberg and Lex Friedman. They did their um, Metaverse interview. That was that. I thought that was great. Actually, I, I watched uh, most of it. Um, I watched mainly for not for the actually um the content of it but just the, the how good it is actually but then ended up watching most of it because they were talking about the how technology improvements and what's missing still i think metaverse will happen it's a matter of time it may not be meta's metaverse but overall it can be apple's metaverse or like i don't know who will dominate it but almost real time killing this this proximity idea like okay hey for better collaboration we have to be sitting next to each other uh i think that argument will gradually go away yeah the that interview i think was 
pretty dazzling to Lex. It was interesting to watch his reaction. The the drama, the drama at Twitter, uh, given the interview with with their their CEO and some of the upshot there, of course, I was one of the many individuals who thought that when Linda Yaccarino held up her her phone and X wasn't actually on her home screen, I felt for her because that yeah. was gutsy to kind of turn her face, her 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 phone, the face of her phone outward like that. It, we're in a day and age, and I think it's a shame where because with high resolution cameras and things like that, even 10 years ago, I'm not sure people would have been able to see what was on her phone. But now, of course, everybody knows what apps are on her home screen on that at least window. So for, for Linda, I kind of feel feel for her for for that. And maybe we land the plane with Octane. Okta as a, as a security provider, very interesting to watch. So their posture, a bit different than Splunk. They're fast moving. They're they're popular, they're hip. What do you think about Okta and how did you find the Octane event? Yeah, Okta is, uh, there's a small overlap with Splunk, but but they are mainly identity people, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just the user, yes. user passwords and identity and what they have access to. And they go into the security space, you know, they work with likes of um, Splunk and uh, anybody who's doing the observability in any shape or form, including yeah. AWS and Azure, they have native sort of solutions and, and uh, Cisco had their own solution before they acquired Splunk and there are so many others. So yeah, it was yeah. interesting. They are a good reputer vendor. They have a loyal following. I think their market cap is uh, around $12 billion or so. Uh, I went there for one day. It was uh, it was interesting to to see their announcements. They did a lot of AI-related announcements, right? Uh, the, the one of the more notable one was like auto log out from all the applications. If, if there's attack, you can, you know, press a button and auto log out, you know, all the users who are on any of the, your apps and stuff like that. Um, they will use AI to give you, uh, recommend you the policies, you know, security policies around the, the uh, identity, if you will. So that was another one. And they had like, they had like seven to 10 announcements. Some were like with long tail of announcements, you know, it's just announcement for the sake of announcement. But the main thing was that they, said was, and we all we all know that we are going that way, that we will be doing so real-time detection and response. And that there was also another uh, controversial kind of statement. They said, hey, passwords are so 2022 or something like that. So the password, we are going into the password-less era. That, that's a big, you know, bold statement, but I actually like that, to be honest with you. So I would rather have an, app even b2b app or b2c app like send me a token on my phone which i can enter to get into the the app you know apple does that already 
So they still have the passwords. Once in a while, they will ask password, but many times they don't. GoDaddy is doing that. I have a lot of domains there. So they started doing that. So I just love it. I And, and um, oh, yeah, PayPal. PayPal, um, I keep forgetting my password for PayPal, and I want some. sometimes I want to use it for some things. And I say, send me the code, and I just, I'm, I just pay for that thing. And um, I, I skip the password. Adobe is doing that. So, yeah, I think... I would love to see passwords go away. I just hate passwords. Mm -hmm. They, yeah, they, right. So, and and keeping track of all of them, and then if you're if you're doing what you should be doing, rotating them. You know, of course, not keeping the same password for a given account. You know, and if you think about how many accounts any one person who uses a bunch of different different services, you know, you might have a few dozen apps on your phone and all of them may require passwords. The, so the idea, you know, of a password less future is kind of intriguing. With, yeah, in talking about, you know, comparing Splunk and Okta, the, the main thing I had in in mind was the the theater, the venue, you know, where, where do the, and Okta being in the cloud, the IAM issue, the, you know, identity issue is a huge one because compromised identities are one, one of the principal ways that uh, people end up losing control of their cloud resources. And then, of course, you have Splunk to, you know, actually detect and see the traffic and what ha what happened and where did it come from and, you know, do root cause analysis and everything. I think Acta is a lot of fun. I think they do. I follow you know, a couple of their more vocal employees on LinkedIn and it'll be interesting, interesting to watch them. I think we made the comment as we were getting ready to, to record that there is a little bit of AI washing in this, but I also think that using models to build more fine-grained behavior into these processes will be really interesting yeah it'll be useful like we have so much intelligence in logs and and um, yeah we we can mine the logs to create better policies you know that's how we used to train these uh, firewalls right so we'll run the firewall in this training mode and then after a while we say okay oh yeah now we know which ports to close and which ports to open and uh, so the training mode it was in a way that very like a rudimentary way to Call it like machine learning, firewall learning, we, we call it. But like uh, going forward, we will be doing a lot more at bigger scale, at more accurate scale, I think. So that's that's there for sure. Uh, yep, that's, uh, I think we can we can talk for another half an hour with new other things and we can, we can talk <laughs> yeah. more about the security space. And <laughs> it's, it's uh, these topics are so juicy, we can go on and on. I think, um, we, we can leave it there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for the great discussion today, Sarbjeet. Always thanks, a pleasure. Always great uh, to talk to you uh, in this setting. And um, yeah, we'll love to hear the feedback from you folks who are listening. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to For Instance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show today. If you did, please feel free to leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify. 
When we're not recording, you can find Sarbjeet reacting to and discussing current enterprise tech news on Twitter or X. His handle is at Sarbjeet Joal. And you can find me, Sarah Music, on LinkedIn, interacting with tech news or occasionally posting a literature quote. We welcome your feedback and we'll see you next time.